Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to expound verses 1 through 2. I couldn't wait to get home Sunday. I always hate it when my pastor's gone, but I always love the opportunity to be able to, to preach. So there's always a great conflict whenever he and Miss Tammy go out of town between my joy of teaching and missing them. And we're going to begin a new chapter tonight, so look with me in chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Let's read verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding. The phrase, my son. Solomon began chapters 2 and 3 with this same introduction. My son. In chapter 1, down in verse 8, we also saw that phrase, my son. In chapter 4, he began the proverb or the chapter of that proverb with, Hear ye children. So in the first few books of Proverbs, it's become very clear to me that it is the children who are the primary objects of wisdom's teaching. And if you see Solomon as a type of Jesus Christ, which he certainly was in many ways, then it's the children of God who are also taught the wisdom of the Proverbs, not just the earthly children of Solomon. And of course, the Proverbs are wonderful doctrine for all people. The young, the old, the teacher and the student, and the father and the son. But let's think for a moment about the flow of wisdom, how wisdom should flow. And it first begins with God's wisdom. That's the beginning. That's the place. God is the wellspring of all wisdom. It doesn't start anywhere else. And although Solomon tells his son to hear his, that is Solomon's wisdom, the wisdom of the father, it's also true that the wisdom Solomon teaches is only what he was taught by the Lord. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 3, it's been a while since we studied that in Sunday school, but in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon prayed to the Lord. And he asked for understanding in this prayer. He said, ask God to give him understanding so he could judge this great people Israel. And in verse 12, it's 1 Kings 3 verse 12, here's what God said to him in answer to that prayer. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. So that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Did you hear that? God said, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. So for Solomon to have wisdom at all, he first had to be given wisdom. <clears throat> he didn't go to the store and buy a wisdom seed and throw it in the ground and water it and let the sun hit it and watch it come up like corn. It was given to him. And further speaking of this flow of wisdom starts with God. And after God gave it to Solomon, Solomon wrote it down. 
And that's why we're able to look at the translation of it tonight. In fact, he wrote many more Proverbs than what we have in the Bible. The Bible tells us that in 1 Kings. But the ones we have are wonderful, and it's a lifetime study trying to absorb all of them and understand them and live by them. But Solomon, after receiving it from God, wrote it down for his son. But wisdom, giving wisdom to his son was different than giving him a family heirloom. For example, if I have a favorite gun, and I do, they're all my favorite, but if I have a favorite gun and I decide to give that to one of my children, and I will someday, that'll be theirs when I go to be with the Lord, they'll, I'll pass those things down to them. And once I do that, whether I, especially if I'm alive, I'll no longer have the gun, someone else will have it. You might even say, well, Brother Andy got rid of his gun. He gave it to his eldest daughter, his youngest daughter. But with wisdom, the receiver of it does not lose it when he gives it to another person. That's a big difference. So when Solomon received wisdom from God and he gave it to his son, Solomon didn't lose anything at all. His son gained but Solomon didn't lose. That's the nature of wisdom. There's a big difference between giving something and getting rid of something. Did you catch that? A big difference between giving something and getting rid of something. If you want to get rid of a $20 bill, go down in here and buy one of these silly lottery tickets, lotto tickets, and you can get rid of it. You can make sure that you never see a benefit from that $20 bill again. Just hand it to the cashier foolishly, and walk away, and then don't win. There you go. But when you give, like many, hopefully all, faithfully do in your tithes and offerings, you didn't get rid of that money. When you put your check down here or you Venmo, PayPal, however you do it, you're not getting rid of it. You're giving it, but you're not losing anything because what God does with it is more than what a bank can do with it. And so we get when we give. And the flesh doesn't understand that, of course. Here's another example. When I taught my children the wisdom of God concerning prayer, I taught them by explanation, but initially I taught them by example. Have you ever tried to tell a two-year-old why you should pray and the things you should Pray for? No, you just show them how to do it. And then when they get a little older, you begin saying, the reason Daddy is thanking God for, for you is because you're a gift from Him. And then the older they get, the more you can impart to them. So I would pray with them at bedtime. We'd pray at the dinner table. And once they had the wisdom to know to pray, I didn't stop praying. I didn't get rid of the habit of prayer or the wisdom of prayer, and say, well, I pass that wisdom on to my children like a gun, so I don't have it anymore. And neither did Solomon. The reason for that is I never stopped receiving wisdom from God when I gave it to my children. I kept getting it from God because His Word is full of it. He never stops giving it to me. If you want it, He's giving it to you. The only reason you won't receive it is if you say, nah, I'm good. 
And lots of arrogant people do that. When God gives me something to give away, it doesn't matter whether it's wisdom or money or mercy or grace. When he gives me something to give away, I don't lose anything when I give it away. We don't get rid of it. We give it and keep it at the same time. How's that? You might say wisdom is the gift that keeps on giving. And it keeps on being received by the one who is seeking it. And then thirdly, the flow of wisdom being given from God to Solomon and then from Solomon to his son is also given to us. We don't read this and go, well, he wasn't writing to me. He said, my son. He was writing to his son. Oh, we're all getting this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of right in righteousness. The man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto good works. There are all, there's all kinds of profit in wisdom, as we'll see. In fact, we profit from wisdom. Wisdom bears fruit in all of its recipients. So whoever gets wisdom and accepts it and acts upon it is going to bear fruit. That's the nature of it. God's word doesn't return void. It always accomplishes the purpose whereunto he sent it, and it will continue to do that. In fact, this same author, Solomon, wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verses 11 through 12. It's Ecclesiastes 7, 11 through 12. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. S-U-N. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. So there's great profit in wisdom. When you give it away, when you get it, you never lose anything. Now the phrase, my son, also teaches us that we, just as Solomon, are to teach wisdom to the ones we love the most. And whom on earth do we love more than our children. Now, the love you have for your spouse is a different love than you have for your children. You should love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The neighbor you love more than anybody on this earth ought to be your spouse. When you're married, you love your spouse. You two have become one, but you love your children with a different kind of love. And there's not anyone else's children who you love more than yours. And you may say, well, I love children, but you don't love any of them more than yours. You better not. God didn't give your children to you so you could love somebody else's children more than you do your own. Our sons and daughters. And who does God love more than he loves his children? He set his love on us. We're a peculiar people to him. So think about that when you think about this word, these two words, my son. Now let's look back in our text there in chapter 5, verse 1. He said, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to mine understanding. Let's look at the word attend. We've come across this several times in the study of Proverbs. In fact, back in chapter 2, verse 2, we saw it as the word incline. It's the same Hebrew word that's now translated as the word attend. And in chapter 4, Verses 1 and verse 20, we saw it as the word attend. So we've come across it before. And what we're reminded of here is that 
it's not the world's wisdom, but my wisdom, that is Solomon's wisdom, which means God's wisdom, that is to be attended to by the Son. To whose wisdom should the Son attend? His Father's. His Father's wisdom. So the Son's ear is to incline, as it was translated in chapter 2, to hearken, to regard the wisdom of His Father. Now here's an example of when that doesn't happen. Imagine a child is throwing a ball to his brother in the living room. And the ball gets away and breaks a television screen. Some of y'all having PTSD over that comment right now? Okay. But as the child's mother is tanning his hide, she might say, she might say, how many times have I told you not to throw the ball inside the house? And every syllable usually comes with a swat, so you wish she'd hurry up and be done with it. But telling the child not to throw the ball inside the house is the wisdom that the mother desired to impart to the children. And the children, this child in, in our example, at the time his mother said, hey, don't throw the ball in the house, that child didn't foresee the consequences of doing that. They thought, well, I like throwing a ball. It's fun to throw a ball, and I don't see why I can't throw a ball. So why did the child throw the ball in the house anyway? Even after his mother had previously explained to him the dangers of doing it, the reason I don't want you to throw the ball in the house is you'll knock over one of these nice uh, candles or you'll break the television screen or you'll hit your little brother in the eye or whatever it was. That's how I always made something seem dangerous. I told my kids, you could hurt your eye. No matter what it was, you could hurt your eye. And so the, the child... Because the child did not attend to the wisdom of his mother, it's not that he didn't hear it. He knew what it was. He knew what the rule was, but he didn't attend to it. He didn't show regard or a preference for it. Then he threw the ball in the house. He heard it. He could probably even repeat it. If you ask that child, what did I tell you? You said not to throw the ball in the house. Oh, what's your next silly question? Why'd you do it? And what's the silly answer they always give? I don't know. Yeah. Rather than being honest and saying, look, Dad, Mom, I just thought I had a better angle on this. I thought I had a better idea than you. I'm six. I'm pretty smart, you know. But the child did it because he did not show a preference for his mother's wisdom. So he used his own sinful reasoning and disobeyed his mother. And that's what people do when they ignore the wisdom of God. When a thief steals, he is very aware that what he's doing is wrong. He's aware that it is a crime to steal and that there's a punishment attached to it. And yet, when he steals, it's not because he didn't know better. It's that he didn't attend to the law of the state of Texas in this case. So for us to attend to wisdom, as Solomon tells his son to do, we have to prefer wisdom over something else. Do you know what we have to prefer wisdom over? Foolishness. Foolishness. That's the opposite of wisdom. 
In fact, the Bible says, and it's a very mysterious scripture for, for some, that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And it's not that God is foolish, but if there was any foolishness in him, the wisest thing man could do and the most foolish thing God could do, if he could do foolishness, that would be higher than man's wisdom. Man's wisdom can't ever come close to what God's wisdom is. So for us to attend to wisdom, we have to prefer it over foolishness. If you say, well, I don't like God's wisdom, then you're a fool. Very clear. Now, he said, my wisdom. Look back in the text. Attend unto my wisdom. And as we've learned before, my wisdom only means something when it proceeds from God's wisdom, when it's the same. How irresponsible would it be for a parent to teach a child that being slothful and looking for handouts is the way to live? There are some who've taught generation after generation that very thing. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, Proverbs 6, verse 6, which we'll get to in a few weeks, says, Go to the ant, not your mother's sister, ant, A-N-T. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. A sluggard is a lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise. So to the lazy person, God says, I want you to go out to the little red ant mound, and those little critters, don't get stung now, go out there and watch them. And see what they're doing while the grasshopper's sitting around saying, well, (laughs) it's nice and warm out here. I don't need to prepare for the winter. The ant is continually working. They don't ever stop. You put your finger down there. If they don't sting you, they go around it, and they keep working. They don't say, look, somebody put their finger down there in the sidewalk. I can't move past it. I have to sit here and collect a government check. No. The ant says, I'm going to keep working because the ant can work. And because the lazy parent didn't attend to the wisdom that God said is demonstrated by the ant. And because that child's parent didn't attend to that wisdom, guess who suffers? Both the child and the parent. You know, I've said you never threw raising your kids, no matter how old they get. But in some, it's that way in spades. (laughs) And sometimes... And it's sad, but sometimes it's a result of some neglect early on of either teaching wisdom or and or of the child refusing that wisdom. There are some fine parents out here who have taught their children everything they can about wisdom, and the child says, nope, I think I'll try it another way. So we spend the rest of our lives, if you're that parent, grieving over those grown children. And so I'll tell you, your, my wisdom, better be the wisdom of God or you're teaching your kids wrongly. And not only will you suffer for it, but they will also. I taught all three of my daughters to work. Now, my daughters aren't any more perfect than yours are. But I taught all three of them to work, and they've worked since they were 15 years old. Well, they worked before that. I just didn't pay them much. But when they got to be 15, they had jobs, and they learned what it was like to earn and to uh, be able to buy things. And so when they come to see me now, I never worry about their hands being out for money. Because they learned, they attended to the wisdom of God about being industrious 
rather than lazy. Now he said in verse 1, bow thine ear. Bow thine ear to my understanding. The Hebrew word that is translated bow, now this is really good. I enjoyed studying this part particularly. The Hebrew word that is translated bow, B-O-W, in our text is first seen in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 and verse 8. Except it's not translated as the word bow, it's translated as the word pitched, pitched. Listen to that passage and then we'll take what we learn from that passage and give us a better understanding of the word bow right here in Proverbs. Now speaking of Abram, the verse says, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. There's the word. Having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And although the Hebrew word for bow is widely translated, there are other words it's translated to, such as the word spread or let down, or turned, or showed, the translation as the word pitched seemed to me to be the most helpful in our text. So let's see wisdom here with this analogy. Let's see wisdom as a place. Wisdom is a place. And in that place of wisdom, there's safety, there's security, there's life, all things good. And when Abram pitched his tent between Bethel and Hai, before he built an altar to the Lord, by pitching his tent, he committed himself to live there, to sleep there, to eat there, to change his clothes there, and whatever else needed to be done. It was a safe place for him. And Solomon said, My son... Bow thine ear to my understanding. So think of it this way. My son, your ear is a tent. It's like a tent. So not only do I want you to regard the wisdom I gave you, but even more, I want you to pitch your tent where wisdom is. Put down stakes. And secure that tent right there in the place of wisdom. Where are all things good and safe and secure in the presence of the Lord? No matter what's happening in all the world around you. When your ear puts its tent stakes down in the place of God's wisdom. Then it doesn't matter what goes wrong around you. You're safe. You're secure. Now you think about Lot, when he and Abram had their herds and the herds became large and the herdmen between Abram and Lot began to fight with each other. They were in strife. And Abram said, let there be no strife between us for we're brethren. He didn't want any strife between their herdmen. And Abram said, you go whichever way you want. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. So geographically, Abram didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going to put down his literal 
tent stakes, whether it was over here or over there. Well, Lot made the decision, and he said, he looked and beheld the plains of Sodom, that they were well watered. He did the same thing with his eyes that Eve did with her eyes on the fruit, saw that it was good to eat and all that. So Lot went toward Sodom, and which spiritually, that's a sinful place, wasn't it? And Abram went somewhere beside Sodom because the tent stakes he set down were going to be in the place of God's wisdom, not necessarily in a place where the plain was well watered on the earth. So don't pull your stakes up and pitch your tent somewhere else if you have pitched in the place of wisdom, no matter what anybody else is doing. And I believe this analogy gives us a strong impression of what it means to bow thine ear unto my wisdom. Verse 2, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. So if verse 1 is the desired behavior, then verse 2 is the desired result, the outcome. You reread verse 1 and then you see that the result is that thou mayest regard discretion. Why should you attend unto my wisdom, my son? Why should you bow your ear to my understanding? So that you will regard discretion. Regard is seen as the word keep twice. Well, in verse 21 of chapter 4 and then in verse 6 of chapter 4, it's the word preserve. Perhaps you remember that or it's in your notes. But the first time you see it in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis 2 and verse 15. Where it says, And the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to, what did he do? Keep it. Regarded it. What was Adam's number one earthly job? It was to dress and to keep or preserve that garden. And the number one job of those who learn wisdom is to keep it, to preserve it, to guard it. It's not your number two or three job. And that's where people get led down the wrong path. If the learning and regarding of wisdom and the guarding of it is our number one job as Christians, and it's that way 24-7, then our foot will never slip. So why does our foot slip? Because someday, some hour, some afternoon or morning, or certain day of the week, we get up and our flesh tells us today the wisdom of God will be number two or three. I want to do what I want to do. Now, although you may not say it outwardly, that's what the flesh does. So until you attend to wisdom and pitch your tent there by bowing your ear to it, then you won't regard discretion. It happens that way. Attend to the wisdom, bow your ear to it, that thou mayest regard discretion. You won't keep it if you don't. It won't be important to you to preserve it. So what is discretion? The Hebrew word for discretion is translated very distinctly differently. Sometimes it's translated as the word devices, which pertain to wicked men. Other times it's translated as that which is given to the young man along with knowledge, so it's a good thing. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 4 is where that's found. 
that discretion is given with knowledge. Or in Proverbs 2.11, discretion is that which will preserve you. Now, the difference is this. The difference between whether discretion is a good thing or a bad thing is the purpose. It has to do with the purpose. In fact, discretion, the, the Hebrew root word for discretion, means thought or purpose. So whether a device is a good thing or bad thing depends upon what your purpose is, right? If you put your hand out to somebody to help them up off the ground, that's a good purpose. If you put that same hand out and when they reach up, you pull it back, that was a bad purpose. It was the same action, but your purpose differed. We think of discretion, we often limit it to knowing when to say something or when not to. If somebody's said to be a man of great discretion, that usually means he knows when to keep his mouth shut. Listen to how it's used in Psalm chapter 17 and verse 3. Psalm 17 verse 3. And this is where David wrote in this prayer. He's praying to God. He said, Thou hast proved mine heart, Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed. That's the same word as discretion. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. So purposed is the word discretion in our text. And so what was David's discretion? What was it that he purposed? That mouth. Now that was a device, wasn't it? But that mouth could be used for cursing or blessing. It could be used for glorifying God or for transgressing, for sinning. And David said, I'm purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. So that was his discretion. And the reason David's purpose or his discretion was that his mouth would not transgress is that he attended to the wisdom of God. He set his tent stakes up there. He bowed his ear to God's understanding. Pitched his tent in the place of God's wisdom. And because of that, he regarded discretion. It was important to him. And finally, in verse 2, And that thy lips may keep knowledge. And we've learned several times in this book that the word keep is the same as the word guard. And also the word preserve. Throughout our study of the first four and now beginning the fifth book of Proverbs, knowledge, that last word, that which the lips keep, that which the lips guard, knowledge, has been the near kinsman of understanding. Knowledge and understanding, hand in hand. Attend to it. Bow down your ear to it. Pitch your tent by it. Guard it and regard it. And with that, we'll close. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for the truths of your word. And Lord, we never exhaust them. Sometimes they exhaust us as we study and study. And yet we find new grains of truth, new layers that we had not seen before. And Lord, we give all the credit to you as you show us these things by your spirit. Thank you for the careful attention given to the word by those here tonight. 
Now as we go forth, Father, I pray we'd not forget these things, but we would regard them. We'd attend to them and act upon them and that they would uh, redound to the glory of God in our testimony and our walk before others. In Jesus' name, amen.